received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to this world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatments of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. let's, Let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we thank you so much. We thank you for Jesus and his cross. We've spent the last few months exploring and seeing from different angles the beauty and the power of the cross of Christ. Today, as we, as we come and look again at this familiar old event, this familiar old story, we pray that you would help us to see in it new depths? Would you give us new insights? Would you warm our hearts and strengthen us by what we understand and see and experience in it? That the the power, the victory of Christ may be ours, we pray. Amen. Amen. Great, so um, it's page 1183 in the Bibles. Do you... um, do grab that and get, get that open if you can. Colossians 2. And we'll, we'll come back to that in, in a few moments. Does anyone want to guess what's coming up? Female. Yeah, it is meet someone right on Sadek. Yeah. A name? Okay, no guesses. Rachel. Here we go. Meet Rachel. Let me tell you about her. Rachel had a difficult upbringing. <clears throat> Her mum was a drug user when she was pregnant, and that had a significant impact on Rachel's development. Her dad 
was an alcoholic and at times violent and even abusive. And so Rachel grew up with lots of fear from an early age. And as a young teen, that fear expressed itself in a rebellion. So Rachel got into partying and, and drink and drugs and, and boyfriends and, and that kind of thing. And, and over that time, she got in with a group of friends who were into this kind of occult type stuff. So she would start to uh, mess around and play around with Ouija boards at parties and then um, tarot cards and started attending festivals and New Age events and, and things like that. And mostly for it, it was just a bit of fun. But she did see and she did experience some pretty dark things. Now, Rachel left that life behind her in her early 20s when she became a Christian. But for the past five years, she's had serious issues with mental health. She'd been diagnosed with schizophrenia, and so that means she has auditory and visual hallucinations. She sees things and hears voices. And sometimes she wonders if they're demonic. Now, at times, that, um, that mental health illness has been under control through medication and, and the help of, of healthcare professionals and things, but several times it's got out of control. And she's going to spiral down, and she's been detained under the mental health act, sectioned is what we called it, and in, in the mental health unit of a hospital, and being cared for by, the, uh, by those services. Rachel dreads nighttime, because that's when the visions are particularly bad, and, and she has these terrors, and these kind of dark and demonic things seem to happen. And so she wonders if she's given herself over to these hostile forces and that they now rule her life and that there's nothing she can do. She's kind of hopeless in, in, in this. This darkness just seems to be so great to her and so palpable and the light of her faith is kind of like a barely flickering candle. She says, I feel tormented, I feel scared, often I feel defeated. Now that's your kind of experience. What hope? What hope can you have? Or what about if Rachel is, is your friend? How can you help her? So this is our, it's our last look at the cross today in, in this series. I'm tormented and defeated by dark powers. Jesus is my victory. Jesus is my victory. The, the Latin um, term uh, is this, Christus Victor. It means Christ the victor. That's our big Bible idea today. That by his death on the cross, Jesus defeated all spiritual powers that opposed him. These spiritual powers that threaten his people. And by his death, he guaranteed their final destruction. This is the idea um, from a battleground, if you like. There's a great war and a great fight. This cosmic war in which Jesus wins victory. Now listen, most of us, most of us are not comfortable thinking about things like spiritual powers and spiritual authorities. Because most of us have grown up and live in a culture with this very materialistic, very kind of physical outlook on the world. And so we're so focused today, aren't we, on what we understand about the physical world. We tend to stop at that and think that's all that matters and that's all there is. And while there's great value in thinking about the physical world and understanding it better, I think deep down we know, don't we as people, there is more to life 
and all we can see, taste, hear, touch, smell, all of those physical realities. Non-physical realities are very significant, aren't they? So think of something like love, or friendship, or creativity, or self-esteem, or mindfulness. These are all things that are very significant in people's lives, but not particularly physical realities, are they? Well, the Bible reveals to us deeper realities of the world. The Bible reveals that we are in a spiritual world. The Bible reveals a God who is spirit, but who is real. The Bible teaches us that we are not only physical beings, but also spiritual beings. We have a soul. And the Bible also teaches us that there are other spiritual beings in this world, both good and bad. C.S. Lewis, one of my favourite authors, who, uh, and many of you will like him as well, I'm sure, says this about us thinking about these things. There are two equal and opposite errors into which people can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, not believe they're real. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. One's to think about them far too little. One is to think about them far too much. Well, for most of us, it is our lack of thinking about these things which is our problem. That is the thing that is most dangerous to us. God's word says this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So we need to think about these things. We need to think about them well because we are in a spiritual struggle in the heavenly realms. That is real for us. And Rachel knows that, doesn't she? She's had experiences in her life that can't be explained away. She can't, they can't be dismissed as not significant or not spiritual. And so she needs to be equipped in how to fight the good fight. Now our reading from Colossians 2, page uh, 1183 of these Red Bibles, do turn back there. It helps us in this. It helps us in this. Because it it shows us and explores for us the victory that Jesus has over these spiritual powers. And then it also helps us to see how we share that victory in him. So the first one is this. Jesus' victory at the cross. Jesus' victory at the cross. You see, there is this cosmic drama in the world. It's this thing that is unseen to us but we experience in everyday life, there is this war between God and spiritual forces, powers and authorities that have rebelled against him. And this, this war started, if you like, in heaven, but then it spilled out into the battleground of earth, wreaking havoc as humans were drawn into rebellion against God. So it became a, a kind of a, a human race war as well, along with Satan and some angels. And so the Bible reveals this world where Satan and his dark forces are very real and are powerful. And so there's this appropriate um, fear for us to have and for Rachel to have. We're warned in the Bible by Peter, he says, be alert, be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. There's an appropriate fear we should have before these things. You see, it is possible to be oppressed and to be afflicted by Satan and demons. 
In fact, Peter says, as a Christian, you should expect to in some parts of your life in some ways. There is a great enemy who is trying to destroy you. Just because you can't see him, it doesn't mean he's not real. For Rachel, he tried to destroy her through the addictions of her parents, through her own rebellion in sin, through some corruption and some experiences through the occult, probably now afflicting her mental health. I'm not saying all of those things are directly demonic and Satan in, in every way. But we read in the Bible that Satan uses a whole range of schemes. From very ordinary things and seemingly just everyday things to sometimes perhaps more supernatural things to try and destroy us. He's a roaring lion. As I was thinking this week, I wondered if those of us who think so little of Satan are perhaps those who are most trapped in his snares. Because we haven't given him a thought. So there's a, there's a healthy awareness and a healthy fear we're to have. But, but, that should not mean we are scared. That should not mean we are scared. We ought not think that between God and between Satan it is a close fight. We ought not think it's two equal forces going toe-to-toe. Did you see that in our reading? Let's, let's look at Colossians 2. Verse 9, the bottom there of, of, of that left-hand uh, column. That's what Paul writes, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, that's God, lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. You see, it's not a close fight between God, uh, between God and Satan, between Jesus and Satan, because of this. You can't get more God than Jesus. Paul says the fullness of God lives in him. How can anyone, how can Satan match up to that? He can't. It's the fullness of God in Jesus. And then secondly, he says, Jesus is the head over every power and authority. That's all spiritual powers in this world. Jesus is the head. He is in charge. He is the boss. He is in control. All of it is subject to him. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Satan has none of it. Satan is a pretender to the throne. The Bible actually promises, and Jesus himself says, that he saw Satan's rebellion start, and he will see it finish. Satan's days are numbered. So listen, although as Christians we may be uh, oppressed in some ways by Satan and demons, they cannot ultimately call the shots over our lives. No Christian can be possessed or controlled by them. Because Jesus is an authority that is absolute and is bigger and is greater. And his spirit is greater than the spirits that oppose him. How can we be so sure? How can we be so sure? Well, we need to see what Christ did on the cross. It's there in verses 14 and 15. You see these two things here that he did on the cross, amongst many others. I'll just read uh, from uh, 13. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers 
and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Two things that Christ has done in his cross. He has disarmed the powers and authorities. He has disarmed Satan. This is the image of a defeated king who has his robes stripped of him. His robes that represent his office and his power and his authority. None of that is left because he's defeated. You see, Satan, the biggest weapon that he has against us is our sin against God. Without that, he's got nothing on us. And as the great accuser, Satan comes to the Christian and he reads out the charge sheet against us. Those charges that condemn us, he whispers in our ear how we have let God down again, how we have broken his law and we stand condemned. But you see what has happened? Here, Paul says, God has taken Satan's ammo away. He's got nothing to come at us with. Jesus and the cross cancelled the charges that stood against us. Those charges that condemned us, he took them away, he nailed them to the cross in his body. So Satan's got nothing left to come to the Christian with to accuse us. He's disarmed. Also, these powers and authorities, they have been triumphed over. A public spectacle has been made of them. Jesus has, if you like, totally owned and totally conquered them, and then he's shown them to be powerless and to be foolish. He's shown how one-sided the fight is. There used to be, um, back in... Uh, back in back in the olden days, I guess, um, in Roman times, there was a triumph procession. Here's a, here's a picture of one. Uh, and that is where a victorious general who has, who has won at war uh, parades through the streets after battle in his chariot, riding his carriage, and people are there shouting and cheering. And following behind him is this procession. And the procession are the captives, those who have been taken prisoner in the war, who have been defeated. And it's a public display of their defeat. It has then been made a public spectacle. It's a humiliation for a defeated enemy. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, it looks like the complete opposite. It looks like defeat for Jesus. It looks like victory for his strong enemies, doesn't it? It looks like Satan has won. As he's there wearing the crown of thorns in, in, in the chains of a prisoner. He's naked. He faces this physical brutality. He's lonely. He's mocked as the king of the Jews. He's publicly humiliated. Don't you think Satan must have been delighted? He must have been absolutely delighted at the thought of victory as, as, as he watched on as Jesus desperately cries out from the cross. It is finished. It is finished and he hangs his head to die. But that was a cry not of surrender, but a cry of victory. It is finished is a cry of victory. You see, by the sacrifice of the Son of God, the penalty for people's rebellion was paid. Evil was overcome by perfect love. Peace was won between people and God. The whole world was reconciled uh, to its creator. And so the powers and the authorities, most supremely Satan, who had opposed God, who opposed Christ, 
supposed all of those things are there left empty-handed and humiliated. See, Calvary looks like a defeat, but actually it is the coronation of the king. It is where the king of glory is crowned, if you like, and it's confirmed three days later when he raises from the dead. When sin cannot hold on to him, death has no right over him. So he comes back to life, showing that he is the almighty warrior king. Satan is powerless and defenseless as he rises from the grave. Jesus has won the victory and he won it at the cross. That's why he defeated these powers and these authorities. What's our correct response to that? Respect. Respect. To tremble and fear at this almighty warrior king. Look at how great the enemy he has defeated is. And so realize how great and how powerful he is. We started by reading Psalm 46. Beautiful psalm, isn't it? We read that God is our refuge and our strength, that God is an ever-present help in trouble. And so we do not need to fear. And then we read this beautiful line, which I'm, I'm sure... You, uh, you love, I, I love it. Some, some says, be still and know that I am God. What a lovely verse, isn't it? I think when we hear that, we tend to think kind of, now, now, mummy's here, you're okay. The gentle and the caring presence of God is with you. And of course, there's so much of that that is so, so true, but in, that, in this psalm, that is not the image that we're, the imagery we're playing with. The psalm is one of military conquest. It is one of power and authority and trembling. It goes on to say, I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So when the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God, it's a bit more like sit down and shut up and bow before me. Tremble at my presence. Be still and know that I am God. And yes, it is reassuring. Yes, it is full of hope. But also, is a rebuke to us in our pride and our arrogance. There is a greater power. There is a greater power, and it is Christ dying on the cross, defeating all his enemies and winning his people. So these spiritual powers and authorities, Satan himself, are to be acknowledged, but they're not to be feared. They're not to be feared by Jesus' people because he has triumphed over them. Now it's good news for Rachel and it's good news for us, right? He won the victory at the cross. Secondly, Colossians shows us our victory in him. Our victory in Jesus. See, it's a bit like this. When a champion fighter uh, wins at the Olympics in, in the boxing, wins the gold in, in the boxing Olympics, he represents the whole nation, or she represents the whole nation. And so in one sense, we all win with them. And so when Jesus wins victory, it's not only for himself, but it is for us as well. So that's why, uh, look down um, back in Colossians 2, uh, verse 9 again. 
Paul writes this, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now get this, and in Christ you, Christian, have been brought to fullness. You see, in Jesus we are full up with God as well. We have already been brought into fullness. Now this is a big deal. In, in, in the reading that we had, um, you, you might not spot it, but 11 times Paul refers to the fact that we are in Jesus or with Jesus in some way. And this is this idea of us being brought into fullness in him. He has brought us into himself. And so not only is he ahead of every power and authority in the whole world, heaven and earth, but he is also the head of us, his people, the church. And we are his body. And so in Jesus, Rachel is as full of God and as one with God as it is possible for a human to be. She isn't defeated like she feels, but she is full. Her faith may feel like a flickering candle in the great darkness, but his faithfulness is is brighter than the sun. You see, we were captives in this cosmic war. We were trapped in Satan's snare. Every single one of us, we were disconnected from God. We were caught up in human traditions and worldliness. But Jesus came to set captives free. So he announces the mission in Luke 4. And, and, and here Paul writes in verse 20 that we have died to the elemental spiritual forces. And in verse 13 that we've been made alive with Jesus. You see, every single Christian conversion, when someone becomes a follower of Jesus, it is this, it is a power encounter. It is Jesus' smash and grab, his looting the kingdom of this world and claiming what is his. And Satan, the tyrant ruler of this world, unable to stop him, howlers standing by as Jesus claims his people, rescuing us and freeing us, holding us in his hand, Satan unable to come and steal us back away. You know that triumph procession of the conquering king through the streets with the defeated enemies and foes in, in the wake? Well, the other thing that you'd have there is you'd have the, the spoils of war paraded. You'd have the gold and the silver and perhaps the fine clothes and, 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 and jewelry of the, of the king that's been defeated on display. We are Jesus' spoils of war. That's where we fit into that triumphal procession. The Bible says we are led in this triumphal procession by Christ. The spoils of war, those who he has claimed for himself. And so, despite what it feels, Rachel has not been given over to, uh, and has not given over herself to dark forces. Jesus has her and is not letting her go. She is... She is the token of his victory over Satan. And darkness cannot rule over her because he has set her free. And so as Christians, we are not to be taken captive, Paul writes in Colossians 2. We're not to be judged. We're not to be disqualified because we are Jesus's and he is ours. And so we have all that he has. And we have fullness in him. See, our victory is in him. He shares it with us. And so you might ask then, and why do we have to fight? 
Why has Rachel been so affected by dark and perhaps even demonic powers? Why does that fight continue today in her life and indeed in our lives? Well, that is because this is true. Satan and his powers are defeated, yes. These authorities, these elemental uh, elemental spiritual forces have been defeated. But they are not yet finally destroyed. And in fact, they are raging at their defeat. They know their time is short. And so they know that their kingdom is being plundered and looted by Jesus as he wins more and more people, trophies of his grace, when they thought they had defeated him. And so Satan is going about and as much of hell as God allows is breaking loose. Satan is causing whatever turmoil he can. He's like this angry, attacked dog, going at it as hard as he can, but he is on a leash. So he can't wreak the utter havoc and destruction that he would like. And so for Rachel and for us, we do need to be on our guard against this devouring lion, this roaring lion. And so, just as Jesus fought for us, now we fight alongside and with Jesus this spiritual fight. Just as he won us the victory, we now fight with him. And do you know how we do that? We do that by staying where we are safe. And that is in him. He's brought us into himself, and so we stay in him because we know we're safe in him. We don't move on from him where we have our fullness where we have our life, where we have our strength and our, our authority and even our victory. We stay in him and we are built up in him. It's there right at the start of our reading, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So that means that we stand, we stand firm in his strength and in his power. And we get to use his armour to hold us fast. Turn with me to uh, Ephesians 6. It's just a few pages before. Page 1177. 1177. Ephesians 6, verse 10. This is what trains Rachel and trains us and what it is to stand firm in this spiritual warfare. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You see, his schemes are always the same. They haven't changed. He doesn't know any new tricks. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. 
Stand firm in Jesus. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth that keeps us from being taken captive by Satan's lies. So that we're neither obsessed with our enemy, but we're also fighting the confusion that he induces us into with the truth of God's words. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, this is his moral perfection that covers our heart. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Don't forget the good news of what Jesus has done. Be ready to remind yourself of it, remind others of it, especially when struggling to believe it's true. Verse 16, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Those fiery arrows of accusations. That charge sheet that Satan reads out into your ear again. Deflect it with the faith that you have in the cross of Christ. He's taken that charge sheet from you. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. A mind that is renewed in Christ and protected by that renewal. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The word of truth that cuts Satan and his schemes down. Finally, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. We pray because our strength is not in us, but is in him who is greater and more powerful than him who is in the world. See, that's what we have to do today. That's what we have to do each day of our lives until Jesus returns. The victory was won on the cross. At the end of the Bible, Revelation promises us that the final destruction of Satan and all evil, evil will be complete when Jesus returns. And so today, whilst we wait for that day, we stand firm. We stand in Christ, put on the armour of God, and we wait for that final triumphal procession. And the King returns when his glory is seen and when our victory is complete. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray for that day to come. We pray for you to come quickly, to finally free us. And we pray that by your power you will keep us until that day. That you will hold us that we will stand firm in you. Our enemy is great, but you are greater. Thank you that you give us the strength and the power and the victory. All things are yours, and all the glory is yours. Amen.